Welcome back to Jaffa Space, the podcast about food, farming, and environmental education. This season, we are sharing the recordings from the speaker series Acting for Change, Creating Justice, produced by Ecar Farm, an earth-based Jewish farm in Denver, Colorado. You can learn more about Ecar Farm at ecarfarm.org. This is also produced as a part of the Shemitah Project, an initiative committed to raising awareness about the Shemitah tradition in Judaism as a relevant commentary on contemporary issues. You can learn more about the Shemitah Project at shemitahproject.org. A link is available in the episode notes. This episode features our returning co-hosts, Hannah Perez-Postman and Adam Brock, with new guest speakers, Sienna Mann, the campaign manager for the Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition, and Rosa Sabido, an activist and leader in the sanctuary movement and founder of the organization, Rosa Belongs Here. They discuss immigrant rights work through the lens of Shemitah and the Torah's wisdom on treating the stranger, while also speaking about their own experience, what brought them to their work, and how we can contribute to and organize for immigrant rights. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Acting for Change, Creating Justice, a Shemitah-inspired speaker series hosted by Ikar Farms here in Denver, Colorado. This is part three of a six-part series that's happening once a month on Sunday mornings. I particularly want to welcome the Rhythms for Change cohort uh, here in the Front Range, as well as the cohort in Ann Arbor that's organized by the Alliance for Earth and Land Justice and everyone else uh, that's just joining because you're curious to hear uh, the wonderful conversation we're going to be having today. Um, the recordings uh, of these conversations are going to be at ECAR's website at ecarfarm.org slash S-H-M-I-T-A. Um, they're also uh, recorded available as a podcast thanks to uh, our partners and the technical host of this series, Hazon. Um, so Bruce from Hazon is kind of running the tech side of things today. Thank you for that, Bruce. And uh, yeah, if you listen to podcasts, you can go to the Joffe Space Podcast, that's J-O-F-E-E, -E, um, uh, to find recordings of this, as well as uh, our past uh, episodes. Uh, also, uh, on ECAR's website, you can find resources and discussion questions if you want to dig deeper into the different topics. Um, the theme today is uh, immigrant rights and immigrant justice, uh, and how is that connected to uh, our themes in the Jewish faith of how we treat uh, folks who are new to uh, land that we've lived on, um, and how is that all connected to this uh, broader cycle of Shemitah? Um, all right, so a couple um, just kind of tech questions or tech uh, requests. One is that uh, while you are joining us, uh, you keep yourself muted, but keep your screen on so we can see your wonderful faces. Um, there is transcription that's available and that's uh, automatically set to be on, but you can turn it off uh, by going to closed captioning or CC at the bottom of the screen. Um, and then finally, uh, if you have questions during our conversation today, and we certainly hope you do, um, or comments or uh, just anything else you wanna kind of contribute to the conversation, we really welcome those and uh, are excited for you to put them in the chat window um, 
which you should have access to as part of uh, your Zoom. All right, so I'm gonna hand it off to uh, one of the members of our Rhythms of Change cohort here in Denver, Monica, who is going to open us up with an acknowledgement of uh, whatever land we happen to be on uh, where we're calling in from. Thanks, Monica. Yeah, thanks, Adam. This land acknowledgement was originally written by Perry Jardin of Pearlstone Retreat Center and modified with permission by Adam Brock and Hannah Perez Postman. We gather virtually today on stolen land, land that belongs to no one, but that was tended lovingly for thousands of years by Cheyenne, Ute, Arapaho, and other nations whose names have been lost to history. We did not receive permission to be here, and no amount of words can do justice to the suffering that those nations experienced at the hands of European settlers. Today, we find ourselves in another moment of struggle. Our world and the people on it are convulsed by fevers, both metaphorical and very literal. We are quarantined at home with civil unrest in the streets, extreme weather ravaging the landscape and our democracy in peril. And still the sun rises, the birds sing, the rain cools the parched soil. And still love happens and is woven into the fabric of our days. We gather here today in the hope, always present, that love can heal. That the traumas of the past and present can yet be overcome with compassionate learning, collaboration, and graceful action. May this humble gathering serve as a small step towards remembering our true place in the dance of life, a small step on our long path back home. Thank you, mm, thank you so much, Monica. So uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, um, a overarching theme of these conversations is Shemitah, which is one year out of seven in the Hebrew calendar. Um, that is about release. Um, and there's all kinds of different things in the Torah, in the Hebrew Bible that, that talk about what that actually looks like in that one year out of seven. And as I mentioned earlier, today we're focusing on Shemitah and immigrant rights. Uh, so we just have a, a couple texts from, uh, from the scriptures um, where you can kind of see some of the things that are, that are discussed in the Torah as it relates to how we treat the immigrant. Thank you, Adam. I'm going to share my screen with a couple of these texts so folks can um, look at them as we before we start our conversation. Um, in the Torah, uh, the word for stranger um, or immigrant or sojourner is ger, which can be interpreted as all of those meanings. But um, recently, I there have been some scholars and activists who say that immigrant is actually kind of the most accurate and all-encompassing uh, translation of ger because it means one who sojourns and comes to a space of um, like moving away from fear and also can interpret like being in a space of a new place in which both they come from fear and also there may be some fear in those who are in that place already. In, and so um, there are a lot of ways in which the Torah can uh, 
talk about this and both as like, what is our obligation to welcome folks? And then also what kind of laws do we create that, um, that create rights that apply to everyone? Um, and so this one is there shall be one law for the citizen and one for the stranger and for the stranger who dwells among you. So this understanding that like we all, there's a common law that we all um, must create together and abide by. Um, and then in Shemitah specifically, the, um, the, the part that speaks about uh, Shemitah in the Torah, the first time it is mentioned, right before then the text says, a, sojourn a sojourner you are not to oppress, you yourselves know well the feelings of the sojourner, for the sojourners were you in the land of Egypt. Um, and then the next sentence is the first time that the Shemitah, which is letting the land rest on the seventh year, is mentioned in the Torah. Um, and so they're all kind of linked together in the same conversation around what, how do we treat the land and how do we treat each other? And um, we're using that as the foundation for this conversation today. Um, stop sharing my screen. Uh, no. Thanks, Hannah. So now I'm going to uh, introduce our two amazing conversation partners, and, uh, and Hannah will be leading the conversation with them. Uh, so first, uh, we're joined today by Rosa Sabido. Rosa has lived in the United States for more than 30 years. She currently works as a secretary at a Catholic church in the Western Slope of Colorado. Um, facing deportation, Rosa sought sanctuary while she works to remain in her community in the country she calls home and to care for her parents who are U.S. citizens. Um, and for the past six years, Rosa has been granted a stay of removal by the Immigration and Customs Enforcement until May 11th, 2017, when the agency declined to grant her most recent request. We're also joined today uh, at the last minute and are so grateful by Sienna Mann who is an organizing and campaign manager at the Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition. Um, her work addresses the root causes of forced migration, such as the failures of US imperialism and neoliberalism. Um, she has worked as a paralegal um, in the sanctuary movement, in grassroots organizing and immigration policy um, in places as diverse as Mexico City, El Paso, Texas, Colorado Springs, and now here in uh, Denver. Uh, so we're really grateful to be joined both by Rosa and Sienna, really looking forward to this conversation. And I'm going to hand it off to Hannah uh, to get it going. Great. Thank you so much, Adam. And thank you, Rosa and Sienna, for joining us in this conversation. Um, something that I wanted to start with that I was reading in a um, text about Jewish sanctuary movement was this interpretation of the word ger um, and moving away from the understanding of it as the stranger, a person who's a stranger to someone who's an, in, an immigrant. And part of that understanding is that like stranger implies some level of newness and some level of transience. Um, and I was thinking particularly of Rosa, of your story as someone who has been in this country for 37 years and you know, stranger is not a word that I would use to describe your relationship to this country and um, and who you are. And so um, I would just love to hear a little bit about uh, your story and where you've come from and if you could share 
about your journey um, as a person in this country uh, over the last almost four decades. Good morning and thanks for the invitation. Um, I'm Rosa Sabido and I have lived in this country for 34 years now. Um, since the beginning of uh, my decision of remaining in this country, I was pursuing to have a legal uh, status and that has been a long journey and very painful because unfortunately the the uh, immigration laws are not equal and not fair. Um, and um, after finding so many, so many ways and different paths, um, one of the times on on my on on my intention of uh, becoming a permanent resident. I um, found uh, some people who were fraudulent and they let me to have an order of deportation. Um, then uh, when I found out that I had this order of deportation, I did everything possible to, to remain and fight for my right to stay. And then that's when I had this special uh, permits like stay of removals are called and I had to renew that every year since 2008 until 2017 uh, when I um, then suddenly was denied after I applied for another one more year and uh, the only choice I had it was to leave the country um, go to my uh, supervision schedule and, or take sanctuary. Um, if I would go to the supervision, um, I, I will be deported. So after living here and for 30 years, I made the decision that this is, this is the place where I, I uh, have the right to stay because I have lived here for more than half of my life and I've been working and, and being a good citizen. And I tried, you know, every way possible to, to have a legal status. Um, my mom, during those years, my mom became a citizen and then we submitted a, an application um, into thousand and one which it was approved in 2006 but it, that didn't give me a legal status yet it, it will take um, whatever time it takes to to get to my number because we are a number that's all that's all we are so I'm still waiting um, I made the decision to come and take sanctuary in June 2nd of 2017 so I'm uh, uh, less than two months away for my fourth year inside this church without leaving this building and um, remaining and resisting and um, trying to bring some awareness of the injustice that the immigration community goes through. So uh, fortunately 
while I, I am in sanctuary, my mom passed in uh, July 2017, I mean 2018. Um, she was the main reason for me to, to stay and take sanctuary so I could take care of her because she had a, a, some health issues and she passed and I was not able to be with her. I was not able to spend the, one of the most important uh, moments of her life, which was her last day you know, on earth. And um, what that gave me the strength to remain and just fight for justice. And I'm still here waiting for that moment, which I am sure it will come someday. Thank you so much for sharing your story and the, um, yeah, the strength and courage and fortitude to say that you are here and you belong here and to not um, let the system that tells you otherwise um, shape your story. Uh, it takes a lot of courage and yeah, I really appreciate you sharing. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I brought you here and um, yeah, I would love to hear maybe just a little uh, from Sienna about what brings you here today and um, your journey to this work and um, yeah, what moves you as an individual to uh, support folks like Rosa and other immigrants in this country and in Colorado. Thanks, Hannah. Um, thank you for the invitation. And honestly, it's really an honor to be on this panel with Rosa. Um, as part of, I, I primarily work and organize with the Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition. And as part of the coalition where we have member organizations that um, form our base, but also um, really influence our policy and legislative work because we have democratic processes and decision-making. And Rosa is one of our members. So I um, have gotten to know her a little bit, but also um, know her through our organizer on the West Slope. Um, and yeah, it's really, um, Rosa is really a, a leader in our state um, as we move these demands forward. So um, yeah, I um, my role at CERC is to lead our state policy work. Um, I'm a campaign manager and as part of that, I try to connect our grassroots base through our steering committees, which are led by directly impacted people, people that are yeah, directly impacted by the legislation we're trying to pass um, to um, bring their voices to the Capitol and to guide our strategy um, and um, another big part of my job is doing leadership development for organizers and for our members. Um, what led me to this work, just really briefly, um, there were a lot of different factors from a young age. Um, that one of them is um, I was raised Jewish and Quaker, and so principles around justice and equity were really influential for me from a young age. Um, my mom was an immigration lawyer, so I heard a lot of stories um, as a child about our broken immigration system. And I think from a young age had an understanding that um, the system was not um, built to accommodate and to, um, to welcome uh, asylum seekers, to allow people pathways to, to staying here. Um, and then also, I think a really big influence that was referenced in my bio is that I had the privilege um, when I was in college to study in Central America. And I saw really firsthand the impacts of US imperialism and militarism 
and um, the connections that I built there with um, with folks really showed me that like the yeah the root causes of immigration, the family split by immigration, the harrowing journeys that people make to arrive at this country are really in a lot of ways a, a um, result of U.S. foreign policy and um, imperialism and um, both through like the pillaging of Central America, the impacts of free trade agreements, being the leader in like global emissions and corporate extractivism in that region. So when I came back to Colorado, I really wanted to be involved in organizing in a place where, um, you know, we are um, the root causes not only of immigration abroad, but also of course of, of um, the issues that so many folks face within this country of, of um, facing the broken immigration system and, and no ability to, to gain a lawful status. Um, so um, I'm really grateful to be at CERC and I got um, connected to CERC when I was living in Colorado Springs, um, working with a local organization there called Grupo Esperanza that does work to bring access to driver's licenses to undocumented folks in Colorado through the SB 251 program, which is a really important, amazing program that allows everybody to get a driver's license. Um, which is a document I take, have taken advantage of my whole life. And it's so challenging to get one as an undocumented person here. Um, and the other work that they were doing is, um, was holding um, the sheriff accountable for collaboration with ICE. Um, so that was um, really awesome. And, and be, we were able to document cases and show that the sheriff was actually unconstitutionally working with ICE and work with the ACLU to sue um, the El Paso County Sheriff. So I'll pause there. Thank you again for the invitation. Thank you, Sienna. And um, I hope later in the conversation to hear more about the kind of direct action work and also the policy work and ways that uh, people in this um, conversation can get involved in the work, uh, both locally in Colorado and also some ways that there are things happening on the federal level and um, in other locations that people can plug into. So um, thank you for that resource. Um, and a thread that I wanted to pull that you had mentioned was kind of your, the inspiration um, of, your, of your faith growing up around uh, being raised Quaker and Jewish and how that informs and, and your understanding of justice, especially as it relates to immigration. And um, that is something that I think about often as, as, as a Jewish person in the Jewish diaspora is that the history of the Jewish people is, is often about, is about movement and is also about tying our faith and our ritual into our history of being displaced and having to move. And that really informs how I see our obligation to help others who are also in that situation um, for different reasons in different contexts and also the ways in which we've contributed, I've contributed to the context that that cause folks to immigrate to this country seeking something different or seeking um, relief. And um, yeah, and so I feel like there's a lot of strength in the Jewish foundation around this inquiry around suffering and resilience. Um, and it uh, makes me, I'm wondering, Rosa, I know that you're living in a church and you've been uh, a secretary of this Catholic church. And I'm wondering how your understanding of faith has informed the way you carry yourself through this journey. Well, for me, faith is everything. Faith is what it, you know, brought me here. Faith is what it 
you know keeps me here and remain hopeful and faithful that that the divine justice will will come because that's that's the only one that counts you know but uh, of course you know i was uh, born and raised catholic uh, that is something that is uh, always attached to us and everything we do since we wake up in the morning until we go to sleep um, and um, through faith I have seen a lot of beautiful things happening in my life and the life of, of others so that's I feel like if that's all what I have, I have everything I need with my faith. And, um, and that is something that nobody can take, a, take away from me. You know, I, and I, uh, through the, the faith, at the same time, I know that whatever it happens, it will be in the hands of God and his will. So 180% my faith it will never be broken in any way by anyone it's just very important for me thank you um sienna did you, did you i saw you on your did you have a response? i just actually wanted to ask you a question rosa what is it like to be a part of a faith network like i know you're part of um a broader network of churches and folks that are organizing right. this very movement. What is it like to be a part of that, that broader faith network? Well, that, that has been very in, uh, enriching and uh, because uh, as Catholic, you usually are involved with the same, you know, people, but by being in this church, which is a Methodist church, I have learned a lot of, things you know and being involved with others like at this moment and the things that I'm hearing it's just beautiful because at the end we have everything you know one thing in common which is this this uh believe and trust that there's the uh, a high power and that is always there for us and and to see um just jumping from the Catholic um, environment, which is very, sometimes is very narrow to this opening of the beauty of acceptance and, and diversity that other churches, other, you know, other, um, yeah, other religions offer. And, and in fact, for me, I have received more from the other churches, other people, other faith than the Catholic itself. So that was a has been painful, but also, you know, I might lost that family for whatever reason they have. They probably are not um, practicing what they're preaching. I'm not saying everyone, but um, I, I probably lost that family, but I gained a, like a larger family of many, many people, you know, from different spectrums. So I, 
I'm blessed. I'm completely blessed. That's all I can say. You know, this has been a blessing in so many ways. In so many ways. So that will be very ungrateful if I complain about anything, but just being, you know, inside of four walls. But I have gained a free, a different kind of a freedom. And I have met so many beautiful people. So I am blessed. This is the journey of my lifetime. And this is beautiful. I mean, I don't know what is waiting for me after. But this, this is just that moment that it will stay with me forever. Really. Thank you. Thank you for that question, Sienna. And thank you for that answer, Rosa, and sharing about just both the, you know, the pain and also the joy of, of finding that larger community. And it um, makes me think of the invitation of Shemitah, which is in that seventh year that all lands become common. And it really is the like dropping of borders and barriers so that everyone can like, like enjoy the fruits of the land together. And in that time we become this wider community and we're all supporting each other in, in that. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of expansiveness there. And so I appreciate you sharing about that piece. And um, um, I would love to ask a question that is in the chat right now from Sue, um, which is about this particular time and place. Um, around especially the pandemic and COVID-19, which has impacted everyone and immigrant communities in particular, in particular ways. Um, and so I'd love to hear from you both about what you see is happening in the immigrant communities during COVID and um, what has it highlighted uh, and also what you would like to see from allies and accomplices and how how people can engage in supporting um, immigrants and immigrant rights work at this time in this context. Well, uh, I can say that for the immigrant community, there's no difference. There have always been uh, like the non-priority non place you know, uh, and, and as I mentioned to you um, a few days ago, um, we are treated by our geographic place in the world. And, and um, particularly people from, from Mexico and down, you know, Latin America, um, there is always, um, we are all, always, been pushed to the to the to to the last. Um, if it wouldn't be for this moment where things are moving a little bit uh, with the new administration, the presidential administration, um, we wouldn't be, you know, even able to get a vaccine or or anything. I mean, 
I just feel like we are just coming out of uh, this big hole, like a dark hole that we were in for four years, that it's almost too soon to feel relief, to feel hope, because it's, 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 it was very painful. It was very traumatic and it has been for a long time, but this moment was, uh, we didn't think we were gonna go through through this. And so, you know, uh, being so mistreated in a way that have no rights of, you know, access to food or access to this, um, you know, funds that were available for everybody and, and uh, not, not access to medical care. So I think the numbers that talk by themselves. So, yeah, so hopefully things will change. And it, it is hard to believe that they are moving, but, you know, we have, we have to wait and see. Um, Sienna, do you have any? Yeah. I don't have a ton to add. I think Rosa put it um, really clearly um, that immigrants, for all of the reasons that Rosa outlined, were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic um, in terms of um, uh, the economic impacts on, on communities, um, in terms of not receiving um, the kinds of benefits and support that um, lawfully present and individuals and citizens received. Um, and then in terms of the disproportionate health impacts and the really, really grave losses that um, that immigrant communities faced um, and families faced during the pandemic. So um, I think the only thing I'll add is that, you know, immigrants also suffer disproportionately in terms of um, in, in detention. Um, there were multiple outbreaks in the geo detention center in Colorado, um, where incredibly high numbers of folks were subject to COVID with with very with like very minimal medical treatment and care, um, just like we saw in in prisons and jails um, in detention centers. Obviously, that impacts people of color disproportionately as well, and um, I think would love to talk more later about like ways to be involved. I think there's there's a lot of stuff moving right now. I'm really curious to hear from Rosa how she feels about the work that's moving at the federal level. Um, but I think there's a lot of ways to for people to engage with the fights for um, immigration reform and citizenship for all right now, as well as things on the state level. Yes, beautiful. Thank you, both of you. Um, yeah, it has been. Uh, uh, hard four years and hard prior to that and the work is still happening and um, yeah thank you Sienna for mentioning the folks in ICE detention because I know that the systems there really um, are not set up to treat people with humanity and um, uh, the conditions are ones that are like not uh, supportive of health in general and so with the pandemic the amount of um, 
COVID that spread throughout the detention centers was uh, high and with people who are already being um, underfed and mistreated um, and not represented by the state or the government or supported. Um, yeah, and then Rosa, you've mentioned a couple of times this this assessment um, from, you know, that the immigrants are treated really as a number um, and not as people and really like focusing on the ways that impacts what they what they're receiving and how what kind of support that they get from the government. And um, I am curious, I guess, a question about like, what does it look like for individuals like these individuals to in this group to um, move towards bringing the stories of people into this conversation and not talking about immigration as a, a numbers game and really like humanizing um, the experiences of the people, you and the people who are involved in um, uh, as immigrants in this country. Um, I'm not sure if I understood the question, can you repeat it please? Um, yeah, I guess like what ways uh, do you feel like you would like to be supported? The story is your story, like here we're telling your story and how, how does that story, how does telling the story move this, the narrative from numbers to people? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, as uh, why else? sharing our story and and um, and uh, given a um, like by our experience that we are um, just make it public and and it's it's just a work of um, if people are interested of what's going on with the, the immigrant community and us to to just um, change the um, the perception of what it uh, of who we are um, and the rhetoric of who we are. So uh, that there's a lot of opening uh, from from people. In this country to to listen and to understand and also through us there's this this work of education and and race awareness of what what is happening what is really happening you know with the immigration law and 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 the immigration um immigrant rights so um i believe that People by listening, understanding, and sharing stories. Um, that's the best thing they can do to to um, to to change this again. This this uh, rhetoric against immigrants, and also um, um, by. Um, Oh, I forgot the word. I'm sorry. I just got distracted. Um, yes, uh, share share the stories, but 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 also understanding that how how everyone knows an immigrant from somewhere, 
either a relative, either a friend, either, you know, a neighbor, either a co-worker, an employee, an employer, the, the people who serves your food to clean, you know, a room where you're staying. I mean, it, it, it's, it's just, a, it, we are here to stay. We're not going anywhere. We are, you know, so it's, it's not that we have, you know, it has to um, normalize the fact that we are bad people. The, 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 the talk about, you know, the, uh, to believe what others say that we are bad people. Of course, there's good and bad people all over the place and, and it has, has nothing to do with nationality. Um, and so, you know, it's just to change this perception of who we are. We are as humans, you know, as everybody else. We are just the same, the same, the same. And I cannot get tired enough to repeat that because that's who we are. I mean, I don't know what it make me different than than anybody else or um, maybe the fact that I was born in Mexico and learned to speak Spanish and, but that's just a, uh, I mean, uh, we, I think at this moment is way too absurd to, to, to keep thinking about walls and borders and it's just like it doesn't it doesn't fit with this times we're living it doesn't fit anymore it, I don't know if that answered your question but I just get so passionate about this and sometimes I I just go beyond of what I should answer thank you no that was great uh, thank you. And yeah, just, just that last note of like, it doesn't fit anymore. What does it look like to dissolve these walls and borders um, as a nation? And I think about you specifically in sanctuary being in these, you know, in this very walled and bordered space. Um, and I, uh, there was a question that came up about, um, about a couple of questions about sanctuary. One is if you could maybe share a little bit more about what it means to be in sanctuary for folks who might not know what it is and what the what the sanctuary movement is and how it how it operates. Well, um, a sanctuary um, it's a sacred place where where a um, at at um, a it could be it's a sensitive place where it's open to give refuge to people in need it, it doesn't necessarily need to be an immigrant and not necessarily have to uh, has to be a church it could be a church a hospital or um school which um uh, they have some level of respect for those institutions uh so uh, in this case, eyes will respect and not go beyond the, the sacred place 
uh, walls uh, and uh, and we are protected we are not hiding we are just protected because we are public and the church are not um, protecting a criminal we're just they're just um, keeping a person in this special need um, uh, you know safe uh, while we are doing this work um, again it, it, it's like it could be a church it could be a synagogue could be like a temple it could be you know a, a school or a hospital where they decide to to uh, keep a, uh, this person protected um, I believe this um, this sanctuary movement itself is in the mid 80s by opening the churches to refuge from Central America who were coming, uh, you know, um, fleeing from from the civil wars in the military in, in their own countries. And, um, and then stopped for a long time until um, um, the beginning of the 2000, that's when people, you know, start started um, having the need to have a place to to feel safe, and they just took that movement again. They they revived that movement with immigrants running from the ice, you know, the policies or. And um, now um, they have been, we have been about, you know, fluctuating from 150 people down to 50, you know, the years um, from countries from, you know, all over the world, not only, not only uh, Hispanic, but, but, but you know, from different, different countries. And so what we have, been trying to do as a sanctuary movement is just to um, to be listened, to be seen, to for them to know that there is not only like this DACA people or the TPS people, but there are also uh, the people in sanctuary who we know we have the right to fight. But we we uh, don't have any more legal venues to look for that uh, relief. So that's how we started, you know, creating this sanctuary movement, and 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 then we do it locally at our own churches and communities, and then we are part of a, something bigger, and also to show the need of an immigration reform. And how and to prove that how the the immigration laws are broken, the, the system is so broken, and it's just doing nothing but damaging people, and and they just like really are just choosing a very few people to have the right to to become citizen. So we are fighting for uh, for ourselves we are fighting for our communities and we are fighting for the 11 million of people and we are fighting for this immigration reform that is really really needed because the last time there was an uh, 
real immigration reform was in, in 1986, which we're talking about, you know, 36 years ago, 35 years ago. So, I mean, you know, how, how can not be so many people come in illegally if there is not a way to, you know, come to this country in the right way? Nobody who comes to this country wants to come illegally, but there's no other choice. Nobody wants to remain. We all love our countries. I, I can just, you know, say that every person who comes and it's an immigrant, it loves their country of origin, but we don't have a way to, to travel back, to go back, to leave there, to come to work, you know, so that's what it looks like. We are just uh, just coming in numbers and want it to stay. But no, it's, it's because there are not laws that allow us to, you know, be um, legal or uh, documented or whatever you want to call it, because there are so many names. Uh, and then just just do what we are to do and, and just, you know, um, just live a normal life. You know, it's, it's just, um, it's very complicated and it's so much, um, but it's also very necessary. Thank you. Thank you for giving, yeah, um, that, yeah, helping us understand a little bit more what it means to be in sanctuary and um, what it means to be constantly up against these processes and, and still holding love for the countries where you come from and for your family and for your life and your reason to being here that we can hold all of that together. Um, and just the, um, yeah, and that it's that in sanctuary is an op there's you're you're seen. It's not not hidden, and so many people have to hide for various reasons. And so the opportunity of sanctuary is is there's a visibility and um, a calling in to 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 see the stories and hear what is happening for people. Um, um, I there are a couple of questions in the chat, and I'm wondering, um, Sienna, there's a couple of questions about uh, contemporary issues around sanctuary. Um, one about a lawsuit against ICE and Homeland Security. I'm wondering if you know anything about this around um, fines that had been issued to people in sanctuary, um, fines up to $60,000 for, um, I'm assuming this is in the last administration um, for sanctuary and wondering if you had any um, information or about about this particular issue. And um, one thing I also want to share is when you're talking about ICE, Rosa is that, you know, and the history of these movements, ICE was formed in 2003, which is not that long ago. And so sometimes we think about these as like fixed institutions or programs or policies, but it's very helpful to remember that they, they were made by people and we can dismantle them as people and that the history of them is is one that is, you know, available to recent memory. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so Sienna, do you have any, um, do you know about this lawsuit? And I do a little bit. I'm sure Rosa knows more than me. I know that there's, um, you know, there were a total of almost $3 million in fines against several women in sanctuary that, you know, be, basically they were fined because they did not leave. They didn't follow their removal orders and decided to take sanctuary. And I know um, the case is arguing around like the um, kind of religious freedom and freedom of speech. Um, I don't have any other updates or anything else to add so I can pass it back to Rosa to share, um, to share more. If there's anything um, you wanna add on that, Rosa. Uh, I think that that was uh, close to accurate information. Yes, I, I know other uh, people in the sanctuary who had this fines there up to uh, $700,000 a person. So they, they were getting um, uh, charged like 500 and some dollars per day that they remain in the country. So they are fighting for, uh, you know, against the government for this crazy fines because they don't have the money. But yeah, they, they every day they remain in the country there. They, there's a quote of um, close to $600 a day. <laughs> yeah. Is it okay if I jump in? I just wanted to really highlight something that Rosa shared um, that our movement in Colorado is like very specific about calling for um, citizenship for the 11 million. And something that we see happening at the federal level right now is that like the solutions being proposed, the four bills that are moving forward slowly through Congress do not provide citizenship to the 11 million. Um, the bills are varying degrees of horrible and limited, you know, and, and really carve out very specific groups um, to offer solutions to. And one of the carve outs that we see across all four bills is around um, criminalization. So there are criminal carve outs in every single one of the bills that are moving forward that say if you have certain criminal charges and the bills actually expand, you know, there are already criminal carve outs. So, you know, if you have um, been charged with or have been, um, you know, found guilty of a crime, that can really be a barrier to you being able to adjust your status. But these bills that are moving forward, all four of them expand um, on those restrictions. And so one thing that we're doing at CERC is calling on the Biden administration to take administrative action um, because there are a lot of things that Biden can do right now to halt deportations and to um, reassess the cases that are on the immigration court docket, um, reassess cases like Rosas and all of the other folks facing sanctuary that have in some ways exhausted the pathway that exists for people to be able to be here legally. And those are things that are not gonna be resolved through any of the bills that are, that are moving forward that are imperfect um, reform bills. And so, um, we, you know, of course, want legislative and permanent legislative solutions and immigration reform, but we want it for the 11 million. And we also want immediate action now to resolve, um, yeah, to resolve cases like Rosa so that they can be reassessed, um, so that they, people have like justice in their day in court when that was so unjustly, um, when action was so unjustly taken in the past. And on that note, I just want to invite people to an event that we're doing. There are forums happening across the country as part of the All Eyes on ICE We Are Home campaign that are calling on Biden to take action in the first 100 days. So I can share that in the chat. But I think that's a really important um, 
thing that's happening right now in addition to the ways that the legislation is moving through Congress. Great, and that's perfect timing because as we're nearing the end of our conversation in these last five minutes, um, we'd love for you to share more of this kind of like what's happening right now and where can folks take action both in cases like yours, Rosa, so with sanctuary and the sanctuary movement and then also on the larger federal legislative local policy level. Um, and then another question in the chat that maybe we can squeeze into that call to action is around um, education and around the historical factors that have led to immigration from Central and Latin America um, and the US imperialist role in creating the conditions that cause people to immigrate. Um, so that's a lot of things, but if you, um, are able to share about some of these and some some concrete actions and steps and ways people can continue to educate themselves and actually um, take action to support uh, and move this work forward as allies and in solidarity. Is that a question for? Um, both, but if you'd like to start, Rosa, that would be great. Well, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of groups around your area, wherever you live, uh, where you can support, you know, uh, get involved, find out about their work. Um, just, just, you know, just to get really involved in, in, in any of those, I, I'm sure you can always help someone in your community, in your small community, or your large community, or the country. You know, I mean, there there are a lot of organizations, and there's there's a lot of work going on right now, um, in so many ways for uh, the pro-immigrant uh, community. And also, I know there there sometimes they take things for a moment and they just leave it on the side and they just go to a different focus and that's how the immigrants have been a, a, a play a role of just a game in the government we are just a game you know where they play power and they're at the end they do nothing so you know if they when they invite you to for an action to sign a, a letter to sign an action a request please do it please do it because that will help. Thank you. On that note, there's a couple actions that I would love to invite everyone here to take. We're running a couple of campaigns on the state level right now. We're in legislative session in Colorado. One of the campaigns that's really relevant to this conversation is the campaign for universal representation in immigration court. We're trying to create a state fund that would actually provide um, pro bono legal services to immigrants facing detention in Colorado. So. Um, as we kind of alluded to, immigration, immigrants are not guaranteed representation in immigration court. And um, that leads to 70% of people representing themselves against the US government. People are 10 times more likely to win their cases if they have a lawyer. And they're, they're like seven times more likely to get released on bond. So people are going, are detained, Coloradans are detained and are facing a judge with no representation trying to navigate a complex legal system because they can't afford to hire a private lawyer, which can cost between five to $30,000. Um, so we're trying to create a fund um, that would be like both public and private dollars that would um, 
get um, nonprofits basically to provide services to, to immigrants in detention. Um, and we're actually gonna have a um, call to action this week to support this bill and another bill that we're running. Um, and um, you can sign on onto these links um, and we'll be in touch with you about the calls to action. We would really love your support. We're gonna be reaching out to legislators to say that, um, that we want them to both fund and also help pass these two pieces of legislation. Um, so would love that support. And then um, the, I'm sure we'll have other calls to action from the Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition on the federal level. Um, so um, you can follow us on Facebook or look at our website, um, Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition um, to um, find um, out more as, as those things come. Great, thank you for those concrete ways in which um, we can all participate in this work. And uh, again, thank you, Rosa, for sharing your story and um, sharing your heart with us in this conversation. Um, and yeah, if there's any last words, we're at 11, which is our time. Um, and we welcome everyone to join us for our next conversation, um, which will be in April, I'm sorry, this is April, in May, um, around food justice in the food system with Dr. Damian Thompson and Paul Sherman from an organization The Zone. It should be a great, juicy conversation. Um, and yeah, just any final words from Rosa, Sienna, thank you again for joining us. My only final words is that I just wanna invite folks to also support Rosa's organization. Rosa belongs here, Rosa's the founder um, of this organization. Um, as you can hear, it's, um, a national leader in the sanctuary movement. And um, it's really important that we show our support to the sanctuary leaders who are taking such sacrifice. Um, so you can also support um, her directly through Rosa Belongs Here. And I encourage everyone to do so. Thank you, Zana. Thank you, um, Hannah. Thank you for all the, the panel who who attended and um, thank you, Adam. Thanks for the invitation. That, that's all I can say. God bless you and thanks for the work you're doing and just don't quit, don't quit, don't forget, don't put it on the side. Just, you know, you, our, our, our future is in your hands. That's for sure. I mean, the, you know, you are our voice because we're not, we're not listen, they listen to you. And so uh, thank you for all this work that you're doing. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much. <laughs>